What is up? If you guys do not know me, uh, my name is Andrew. I am on the college staff here. Um, yeah, I just want to say, if it's your first time, welcome. So glad you're here. We hope that you, if you're looking for community, you can find it here. Um, we hope that, yeah, you can interact, meet some new people. If this is not your first time here, good to see you again. Um, I am really excited to um, kind of walk into tonight's message. As some of you guys know, maybe some of you don't, we are walking through the book of First Peter, which is a letter written to one of um, the like first churches um, right after Jesus had died. Um, and um, we're going to do that until the rest of the semester. So if we have about three more weeks of it, and then we have one more, and we will end um, the year. Um, I will say tonight, tonight is like I was talking with Adam, um, who preached last week, and Emily, I was like, man, this, like, what we're reading tonight is like a beast. It is so long and so dense in like what we could talk about, and it's also really like just an interesting topic. So um, I just, when I was working through it, I was like, man, this is going to be really interesting. So um, tonight is what we're going to call a sprint. We're going to like sprint through the text in some ways because there's so much to it. Um, but I'm really excited to jump in. But before we get to where I hope to land and be mostly tonight, I think we need to walk back a little bit. <clears throat> Adam had some really great things to say. Um, and towards the end of Adam's um, verses that he was preaching on, there came this point where um, Peter went from talking about um, who you are and what God has done in your life to then switching to where we're tonight and talking about how then should we live. But what I want to do is I want to recap kind of what Peter, his last kind of message to the people here before he gets into how we should live. So um, we're going to hop right back into 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. It says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not my people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I want to start with this question. Who here has ever seen the movie Miracle? Oh, you guys have watched one of the greatest movies of all time. Thank you. Okay, if you haven't seen it, you're missing out. Okay, just saying that. The movie Miracle, it's about the 1980 U.S. men's hockey team. Okay, and you're like, that sounds terrible. I know nothing about hockey. I just know they got sticks and they ice skate and they hit it. It's all that I know about it, but it is an awesome movie. But during this movie, it's about this whole story of how the 1980 team um, defeated the Soviet Union in the Olympics, and then the Soviet Unions were like these powerhouses. Nobody expected the U.S. to win. The U.S. at this point wasn't very good at hockey. Um, it was like a David and Goliath story, the underdog beating the big dog. Um, it's this crazy story. But in, the, in this movie, what goes on, there's this scene um, that Kurt Russell, the coach, um, who's just a, such a great actor, but he's the coach, um, and he's sitting there, and they're on the ice. All the lights are turned off because they're after a game. They just got smashed. Um, the, the, he was so angry, and they, he started making his team after a game doing down and backs. Now, if you didn't play sports, that's totally okay. What down and backs are um, is he had them line up at one end of the ice, and they would skate to one line, one of the close lines, and they'd skate back to, the, to where they started, and then they would skate to the next line and back and down and back, exactly what it says. So eventually they skated all the way to the very end of the ice and they skate all the way back. Um, the thing is, is that it's not just skating that, it's that they had to skate it in a time limit. So over and over and over, you see Kurt Russell saying again, and they, they have to do it again and again. 
you've ever played a sport and you had to do down and back, that is the worst thing you can do in your life. It sucks. Uh, but they're doing it and doing it, and the assistant coach is like, hey, I think we should stop. He's like, no, we were doing it again. He pulls out his own whistle, and he's like, we're still doing it. Um, well, eventually what happens is towards the end of the scene, um, how's it? I made sure I typed it out right. Mike Uruzioni, um, probably not how you say it, but he comes to this point where he, he gets up. They're all like passed out pretty much. He gets up. He says, Mike Uruzioni, and he says where he's from. And the reason he does this is because throughout this whole movie, Kurt Russell would have these moments where he's like, what's your name? Where are you from? Who do you play for? And he's just like trying to get people together. Well, eventually, he says his name. He says where he's from, and Kurt Russell looks at him, and he says, who do you play for? He says, I play for the United States of America. And Kurt Russell looks and says, that's all, gentlemen, and walks, out, walks off the ice, scene over. It's this super cool scene. The only part that beats is when he gives his like, pre-mid-game talk. But the scene is to point to this thing that's saying like, the, like, these skaters, yet from different places doing different things, um, are all part of one team. One of the famous sayings from this line is like, the, the name on the front of your jersey means a whole heck of a lot more than the name on the back. Right? Because he was trying to get them to understand that they didn't play for themselves. They weren't just by themselves. They were in this community, and they played for the USA. And it's exactly what Peter does here at the very end of these chapters. He's not just saying, like, hey, we're a group of Christians. He's saying these words, these declarations of truth of who we are. Right? This idea that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the goodness of him who called you out of darkness. Right? Because understanding these words about what are true of you today will then bring into more context and understanding of what Peter says next. Because if we don't have that we are something, that God has declared something over us, what then happens next and what Peter says for the rest of the book turns into a bunch of things we need to do so that one day we can become good enough to be with God rather than believing that God has already said about these things about us. It goes from us doing to get to then God has already done, so we do, right? So Peter says these words, and right after that, he says, Beloved, in verse, um, chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, keeping, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Right, so Peter says these truths, and then he says, the, and now what happens because these things are true is that you live in a way that is, that is at war with the passions of your flesh. And what I really want to focus on that I think is going to launch us into where we're going to be at for the rest of the night is this, is when he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable because of what Jesus has done. So with the lens of the truth that we are chosen, we are heirs, we are his people, and with the calling to have honorable conduct, we step into tonight's text. And so what I, see, what I want to do with tonight's text is this. I think Peter gives three examples of what it means to live with good conduct to Gentiles, meaning outsiders, non-believers. And what I, but I'm, what I'm not going to do is normally we just read from one verse and we go all down. I actually want to jump around. We're going to start at the beginning, we're going to go to the end, and we're going to come back to the middle. Because um, I see these three examples that are pointing us to this, that I hope that this is the main point we get tonight. That is God's people, we are called to honor and to respect and be willing to lay our very lives down because of the example we have. So we'll start here. The first example that Peter gives us is the example of authority. 
Um, in chapter 2, verse 13, um, it says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but by living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So like the first thing Peter does here, he says, look at all these great things. And we come into our text tonight. He pretty much just comes and like, mic drops. Right? Like, I was going to do it with one of these mics, and then I was told how expensive they were. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. Um, I've broken enough things. Um, So he pretty much comes this mic drop, and you're like, Andrew, that really doesn't make sense. It's not that big. Um, But what you have to understand is you have to put yourself in the shoes of these people, right? Um, As as we talked about two weeks ago, when when we first talked about Peter calling them elect exiles, like God's people that are exiles, what he's pretty much like, you have to understand these people were like thrown out of their own country. They were in a place that nobody wanted them around. So they feel this loneliness and this emptiness because of the government, because of the masters that were in front of them or above them. And Peter pretty much just comes out and says, like, be subject to the emperor. Be subject to your masters. The reason it was such a mic drop is because it brought these real feelings of what was going on. What we know most likely was happening is when he says, honor the emperor, he was actually talking about Emperor Nero. If you don't know about Emperor Nero, Emperor Nero was infamous for burning down Rome. And then when everyone blamed him, he like tried to back it up and said, no, actually the Christians burned down Rome. We need to kill them and blame them for what they did. So there was this huge massacre of Christians inside of Rome that happened. It was even most likely that Peter, the author of this letter, died in this huge massacre that happened. So these Christians would have read this letter and known what was going on, and Peter's like, honor him. Honor the guy who wants to kill you. Be subject underneath the guy who is trying to do these awful things to you. He then goes, hey, honor your masters. Be subject to your masters. Respect those above you. Right? That for us, it's like masters. Master's slave has a really bad, like, view to it and like I totally understand why but here we're, they're not talking about necessarily master to slave like under what most likely we can look at is like bosses leaders people of authority over us and the thing here is like if you work like back in the day there wasn't like labor laws or like ethnic laws they can do whatever the heck they want they could like make you work and not pay you and it's like sucks to suck right like these masters were awful people They could beat you, they could lie to you, they could do all these things. And what Peter's pretty much here is like, hey, honor the guy who wants to kill you, and guess what? Like, be subject to your masters, respect them. And even he even says it here, even more, he says, not even the ones that are good and gentle, but even the unjust. 
A way to think about this is, is like you think of Christians that are in China right now. It'd be like if I was to go over to China, look at someone who's a Christian, who's under the oppression, and be like, hey, Honor, I'm going to butcher his name, so I apologize for that. Um, I listened to YouTube like 10 times trying to figure out his name. But like Honor Xi Jinping, like the guy, and I know Kylan over here is laughing at me because I killed that. I did not say it right. That's I'm sorry. But, but the thing is, is like, honor him. Let the guy who's trying to kill you look to him and be like, like, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't fit with our equity here. We live in a culture that weren't hold to supersede authority. Don't sit under someone. If you don't like someone, like push past them. I can just get on social media right now and scroll with how much hatred is over our president today, over our governor, over our mayors, over the people that are wanting to be president and do these things. And I'm not talking, I don't really care about where you land politically and all that kind of stuff. But it's pretty much like we're in this don't be under authority because authority is wrong. Don't honor the people that are above you if they're unjust because you are better than that. You know better. You understand more. And why this, is, why this is so interesting is that when Peter calls us to be having good conduct among the Gentiles, the first thing he goes to is subjection over masters and over authority. Why? Because even then, like today, we understand the depths of how hard it is to be and obey someone who's above us. Right? And the reason we do this is this, is like, he doesn't just say like, hey, just be under these people. It's because it points to something. Hey, those people that are going to talk bad about you, it's going to make them look foolish when they look at you and you've honored the people above you. There's something that's going on here. Peter's trying to get us to understand that it's not just about being under authority and doing these right things. It's because it points to something greater. It points to someone greater. And, and when, I, when I say this, I, I want to be really clear. I'm not telling you that if you are, like, have a boss who's, like, abusing you, like, emotionally, like, he's, he's stealing money from you, that you have to, like, still work for the person. Or, like, if, like, it's not like if, like, we lived in, like, a dictator society, we couldn't be like, yo, this guy's crazy. But, like, what I'm saying is, like, can we do those things with honoring him? Honoring that person that God's put above us. Can we have good conduct that shows the people around us who Jesus really is and who our trust is in? Do we trust that God is the ultimate authority? Do we trust that he is bigger and better than the person that is physically over us? This isn't easy. This is hard, but it's what God calls us to do. So Peter gives the example. The first example he gives of what does it mean to have good conduct amongst Gentiles is he gives the example of honor and respect to the authority that is placed above us to keep silent the people that speak foolishly of us. The second one is this. Um, it's the example of marriage. So in, in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7, it says this. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they might be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning, adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are here, children, um, 
if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Like, just like the conduct towards authority is the one that is calling to lower ourselves in honor and respect, marriage is the reflection of this. And to be just very easy, I mean, you probably hear these words and they're not easy. They're pretty difficult. Right? Just even the first lines, wives, be subject to your husbands. What I want to say first is I want to kind of clear the air in this area because I know we try to do this every time, but I think this one, there's a lot of things that if you just read this at face value, it like pins men and women against each other in this like identity worth role that's happening, that women are in some way under men in this worth and identity. And that's not what Peter's doing here. What Peter is not talking about is that women are somehow less than men in roles and women need to like sit under in worth and dignity. What he's saying here is this idea of roles, how they play out, how they do things, Uh, right? The role of the husband in a Christian marriage is to be the leader, to guide and to direct. And the woman should come under the leadership and respect him. And I want to clarify this as well, because what I'm not saying is this. I mean, I'm not saying that because a wife sits under her husband, it makes her less worthy. In Genesis 1, it says that man and woman were made in the image of God, that women have the same dignity, worth, respect, and place in Christ as any man does. And like I said, equal in worth, but your roles just play out differently. I'm also not saying this. I'm not saying that as a woman, you should just be a doormat which people say, and it's awful. Um, These verses are not saying that to do whatever your husband wants and to get over it. No, what is being pictured is this beautiful thing that happens inside of marriage, that a woman comes under the leadership of the husband as the husband leads um, and and leads the home in many ways. And ultimately, what what Peter's pointing to here is that the, the woman coming under the husband in the view of leadership, that the world sees it. And that the, the adorning of the woman is found in that, the, in, in, the adorning found in a wife is found in that perfect picture. Right, there's this shift happening here. This is why he goes into this idea of what a woman wears. Um, it's, he's not talking about women shouldn't do these things, but what he's talking about is where's the value at in things? It's like, he, he's, he's pushing here into this idea that women um, shouldn't find their, uh, like, their beauty in the things that are worn and the way that they look. And I completely understand. Please hear me, ladies, that I can comp- understand that beauty in this world is so corrupt. My wife works in the beauty industry, and it's, it's just sad to watch how women have been told over and over and over, you need to look this way, and you need to dress this way, and these are the standards of living that you're supposed to be. And that's just not right. So I, I, I don't understand physically and mentally right there with you, but I understand and I can see how it's hard. But what Peter's trying to write here is that your beauty is not found in these things that the world says. Your beauty is found in what God has called you to. Right? He says in verse 4, but let your adorning be in the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. God's form of beauty is far different than this world's. What God said is beautiful is a gentle and quiet spirit. And does not mean like a, like a physically quiet spirit. What he means is exactly what he talks about right after is that a woman's heart does, is gentle and it does not fear. 
And that's why he uses the example of Sarah here, where she talks about this interesting relationship with Sarah and Abraham. It's actually referring back to Genesis 18, where Jesus, or God, comes in the form of man and is talking to Abraham and says, Abraham, you will have a son. And Sarah's in the tent and she laughs because she's 95 years old, well past birthing age. And God comes and says, like, Sarah, why'd you laugh? But Sarah, leaving that conversation, did not fear that something was going to happen. She trusted in God. And that's the beauty that Peter's pointing to here. He's pointing to a beauty that is not given by man, that looks at you and says, you look right, or you're dressed right, or these outward appearances are correct. What he's saying here is like, as a woman, you find inner beauty because God is the declarer of those things. Just like the beauty of marriage that doesn't make sense in our culture, to hear, for a woman to hear submit for 90% of the world, that is a slap to the face. But that's not the, the picture here. Submission is a beautiful picture. It's not oppressive. It's not supposed to make you feel less than. But it's supposed to build you up. And that's hard to see with what we see in today's world. He then goes on from wives submit your husbands to, or yeah, wives submit your husbands to this. He says, husbands are called to honor their wives. He then says something that could also be very like, count, doesn't make sense. He's like, husbands honor your wives as the weaker vessel. And then this just brings a whole other conversation too. Um, the weaker vessel and like, What he means here is this, is the vessel is normally referred to as the human body, right? In in the book of Corinthians, Paul writes that we have this treasure hidden in jars of clay, vessels of clay that are easily broken. And what he's talking about here is our bodies are just very easily, they're not very strong, that God has them for a temporary time. And so what he's referring to here is that when he's talking about being a weaker vessel, what he's meaning is this, is that pretty much just saying that men tend to be more physically stronger. It's pretty much what he's getting to. If we argue that, it's really hard to argue. Uh, I mean, the best example I was looking at how to talk about this well is like this idea of like sports. Um, You have two different worlds. Like you don't like, the guy says like, if you look at the Olympics, there's no sports that men and women compete in, right? Um, U.S., the U.S. men's national team, soccer, um, and then you have the women's U.S. U.S. national team, Right? You have women's tennis and you have men's tennis. Right? There's this picture that we would, on the general scale, like if you put me up against any of those U.S. national women's soccer, 10 times more athletic than me, 10 times more than anything, right? But in the general scale, like men just tend to be a little bit more strong, physically dominating. That's all he's getting to here. And that's like we can, like I think most of us can come to the point of like, yeah, that makes sense. But the reason why it's important that, we, that he brings it up here is this. Is because it's it, it pointing to husbands that it's not just that you can look and say, well, I'm the stronger vessel. It's saying, no, you have a higher calling to protect and provide and honor the, the wife that the Lord has put before you. Right? This, this is a silly example that plays out, that has played out multiple times. Um, during the middle of the night, if there's a loud bang outside, the first thing that happens is this in my household. Lauren comes over and slaps me awake. And I wake up because I don't hear anything. I'm dead asleep. And she goes, Andrew, there's something outside. And I'm like, that's fine. We're inside. Let's leave it alone. (laughs) And she goes, go check it out. And I'm like, 
look, I know I'm the guy here, but let's be real here. If some of you started running at me, fight or flight, I'm, I'm running fast, right? But she's like, go check it out. And then I have to walk out and go look around and like, everything's fine, right? It's like, it's like this natural thing that happens. And does that make her any less than me? No, it just means I'm the one going to get taken out first. It's how it goes, right? The thing is, is like, that's what Peter's point to is like, He's like, look, you, as the male, like, that's all you're called to do is like protect your wife, honor your wife. And he just says weaker vessel because it's a higher calling inside of that as a man. And men, if that does not scare the crap out of you, it should. That is a big burden. And it's a beautiful burden to take. But the reason we do it is this. Uh, the reason we do it is this. Sorry, I'm going to pull it out and read it directly. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. The reason we honor is because they're heirs. This is pointing right back to the beginning of, of this book where First Peter says, there is an inheritance kept in heaven for you, one that is imperishable, unfading, undefiled. It's this beautiful inheritance, and guess what? Everyone gets it. Because of that inheritance that I get, men live up to the calling inside of marriage. Women live into that calling inside of marriage, and it's a beautiful picture. Peter gives the example here. Actually, I was, I think this is the, I think ending with this point on this example is this. I was talking to one of the pastors here at Mountain View, Aaron. If you guys don't know, he's the one who preached on Sunday. And we were talking about this text, and I was just like, like I told you, it's a beast. Like, there's a lot here, and it's not one you can just run into and like try to be gracious with. And he, and he gave this example that he heard from a pastor once about this text. He said this, his husband should always remember that when they lie down at night and sleep next to their wives, they're lying down next to a queen. Women hold the same inheritance as men. We are all chosen, made royal and holy, and all is his. And then he, he ended by this. He says, men need to be ready to lay their life down for their wives. Women, respect your husbands and husbands honor your wives. It reveals something to the outside world when we live this way. We're called to submit to authority and respect and in marriage model this towards each other. And the final example that I think Paul's ultimately pointing all these things is the example of Jesus. He says this in 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. He says, for this, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, <clears throat> but continued entrusting himself to him who just judgely, justly. <clears throat> he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we, may die, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We often hear the verses we've talked about, these last, these first two examples. And we either upset, they are said in the Bible, or we shake our head in agreement because we think, of course it's true. The thing is, is these two examples are hard. It's hard to allow ourselves to be made low. It's hard to think that we have to show honor and respect to those who in authority are over us and wrong and unjust. It doesn't feel right that we should be led by another human or be under their leadership or that we should have to lay down our lives for those we love. And yes, it's hard, but we do it because of the example of Jesus. 
<clears throat> right? Jesus committed no sin. He did nothing wrong. When he was criticized, he didn't do it back. When he suffered for nothing he had done, he didn't try to fight back. But what he did do is he trusted in the Father. See, Jesus had all the authority in the world. He's the creator of it, right? Jesus had every right to be above. Jesus had every right to look at the authority of the world and go, I deserve the honor and praise. I deserve that you look at me and honor and praise and respect me. That's not what he did. In Mark 10, 45, it says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus deserved everything. He had the authority, but he surrendered. He had the right to be honored and respected, and he let it go. And Peter would have understood this really well. Before, the night before Jesus was, um, or the night Jesus was arrested, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is the night that we're about to celebrate tomorrow night. Um, tonight's, tonight's the Passover. But tomorrow night, we celebrate this Good Friday service. No, I'm actually wrong. And he says, this is the night we celebrate, that Jesus went to a garden, and he cried and he bled tears, or he, he, he cried tears and bled drops of sweat out of, his, out of his body because he was so distressed of what was going to happen the next day. And he look, he's praying to God and says, God, remove this cup from me, but if not, let it be your will and not mine. And he gets up, and he's, he's ready for the cross. He knows what's going to happen, and he comes up to his disciples who are all asleep, and he wakes them up, and Judas, who has betrayed him, his disciple, his friend, comes up and hugs him and kisses him and says, Rabbi. And they, they come after Jesus, and Peter pulls out a sword and cuts the high priest's servant's ear off. And there's this madness going on, and Jesus looks at him and says, what are you doing? Put your sword away. Don't you think I have the authority to call out to my Father, who will bring 12 legions of angels and, and save me? I have the authority over all this, but I lay it down. This is the night, as we think about tomorrow, that we celebrate that Jesus looked and said, can't I do all these things, but I'm not. Because I love you, and I know if I was to save myself, you would not be saved. Jesus was perfect. He didn't deserve to die. He was the king. He had no right to be on a tree that was meant to humiliate him. But he died on a tree and he bore our sins so that we can die to sin and be raised in righteousness. Jesus was the example. He who honored and respected the authority that looked at the Pharisees who spit and mocked him to Pilate, who says, who looks at him and says, why don't you answer me? Don't you realize I have the authority to save you? And Jesus looks at him and goes, only God the Father can give you authority. Now take me and let me be crucified. That's the God we serve, guys. So when Peter says these examples of like, hey, honor and respect those in authority over you and don't, don't let their unjust wickedness ruin you. When you look in marriage, and I know it's hard, wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, honor your wives. It's because Jesus was the example of those things. He sat under authority and he laid down his life for us so that we can have a hope. We have this great example. If Jesus didn't place himself as greater than the earthly authorities and Jesus was willing to lay down his life for his people, isn't this the better way? This is the example we have. 
and as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, that we are God's own possession, calls to have honorable conduct before people because it points to something greater, points to someone greater. Shouldn't we do the same? And I get it, you're like, there's a lot here, Andrew, I don't really, we don't have an emperor, we don't have these governors who like are in this way. I'm not married, totally get it. So what does this look like? The first thing I'd say is like, how do we act towards those above us in our lives? Our bosses, our professors, our school administration, do we honor them? Do we respect them? Not just to their faces, but behind closed doors. Knowing that when people look at us that aren't believers, they'd see the, our conduct that points to Jesus. How do we act towards the fellow believers in this room? If we are really called co-heirs of this amazing inheritance, are we willing to lay down our lives to those in this room and to other believers through our actions? We do all these things not because it's what gets us to Jesus, because, but because it's what Jesus did for us. And he did it to give us an inheritance that is far greater than anything we can receive here on earth. Would our lives as believers look different? <clears throat> and then I ask this, would you that have never believed the truth of Jesus, and would you consider these things and realize that the things you're chasing after will never satisfy you as the God who laid down his life for you? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for tonight. I thank you in just the random circumstances of Easter that we get to celebrate that you were in the garden this night 2,000 years ago and you chose to lay down your life for us. You chose to be beaten and mocked and scorned and hung up in humility on a cross to bear our sins because you loved us. The things that separated us from God and, and God's wrath you took upon yourself so that we now can have a bridge to you and spend the rest of eternity in the inheritance that you've given. And so Lord, I pray for our hearts in this room that we would remember the beauty of that inheritance and the goodness of who you are. Lord, I pray that you would just remind us of that and let us look to you. In your name we pray, amen.